Well, hey everybody, it's so good to be here with you uh, sharing from the Word today. Um, continuing the series, A New Reality, Pastor Glenn introduced us uh, to the series last week. And uh, we talked last week about how uh, the new reality we're facing uh, impacts us as individuals. And, and Pastor Glenn reminded us of the truth that Jesus does not change. He's at the center of it all. And uh, we can draw great peace from that fact. And yet, uh, he provides new mercies for us every day. And he's fresh and new uh, to us each and every day. Well, this week, we're going to take uh, a little bit of a different angle. And we're going to talk about a new reality uh, within the context of the local church. Church. And so thanks so much for joining us, wherever you're joining us from, uh, online, maybe presently today or at another time or from another place. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we know that all of us together can leave uh, this time together changed by God's power. So um, let's get right into the scripture this morning. Uh, we're going to read from Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And uh, here's what it says. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And these are the two verses that we're really going to focus on today. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I also want to take a moment and just read this from a, a modern-day translation from the message. Uh, and this passage reads this way, the latter part of this passage all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. His, he has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with with his presence. Today we're talking about a new reality uh, from the perspective of the church. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that we can gather together online and through the power of technology um, to hear your word today. And so, Lord, I just pray that from wherever we're listening or watching, that, God, you would um, find really good soil in our hearts today uh, for your word. We just pray that the word would bring life uh, to all of us, God. And as we listen to what you have to say today, as we discover uh, what it is that you want us to hear and see and understand, may we all leave this time changed, God. That's what our prayer is today. 
So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, currently it's uh, now old hat to, to be talking about COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on the world, but it is true that we are now living in a new reality in large part due to this uh, awful uh, disease and pandemic that's just reached right around the world. And it's having impacts everywhere. It's having impacts on the economy, on jobs, on education, on just every aspect of life. Um, has been influenced. And, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I can't think of another situation that was remotely like this. The thing that would only come close would be um, the horrible attacks on September 11th in 2001. And that uh, those challenges, unfortunately, I mean, it impacted the world, but were also uh, somewhat localized, you know, but we do see that airline travel was changed forever. You know, some of you might not remember what it was like before, but uh, things changed quite a bit when it comes to security and what you were allowed to do on the airplanes and just different things. Um, and so there was a, a really uh, massive impact at that time. And we're seeing something drastically larger uh, in terms of impact now with COVID-19. It is shaping and reshaping society. It's influencing cultures all around the world and how we do things, uh, how we approach things. And so we're truly living uh, in a new reality. And this has an impact on us uh, as the church. Um, the reality today for, uh, for us here is we're not uh, gathering together physically. We're all gathered together online to hear um, from the Lord. And while we might be used to that to a certain degree, you might have been listening to messages or podcasts beforehand, it's another thing to sort of have the choice to come together, um, actually be removed, uh, at least for a season. And so we are living in a new reality. There's no, there's no question about that. This is a new reality if we've ever seen one. But the great news is, as we heard last week, that Jesus is at the center of it all. Jesus Christ is with us through the storms, through the fire, through the challenge, and he is with us today. Um, no matter how this situation has impacted you or me, Jesus is with us. Jesus, as we heard last week, does not change, and he offers us new mercies each and every day. And so I'm so thankful for that today, and it is on that foundation that we build as we look at the church this week. You know, examples of new realities, you know, we're dealing with a big major one, but some other ones that you may have experienced in life, it's part of life. New realities are part of life. Maybe uh, you're a family, perhaps you've got kids and you know what it was like before you had children and what it was like after you've had children. And it is a totally new reality, isn't it? Um, lots of change and lots of great change, but um, change nonetheless. Or perhaps it's a life stage thing for you. Maybe you've uh, recently graduated from university and so now you're moving actually into this adulthood where you got bills to pay and life to do and a job to find and all those sorts of things. And so this life change and this life stage has presented you with a new reality. Marriage is another great example or a promotion at work is another great example. We encounter a new reality with new responsibilities and new people to look after. So the changing of reality is not something that is um, outside of our experience in life. We constantly have to deal with change. We actually constantly are dealing with new realities as we move from stage to stage in our life. But the truth is this, that whether it's marriage or whether it's children or whether it's um, education and graduating or the new job at work, any of these examples of new realities, they don't change the core of who you and I are. They don't change the core of who you and I are but they do adjust and change the expression of who we are. 
So what do I mean by that? Well, before I, uh, I was blessed with, um, you know, my wife and I with two kids, um, beforehand, I was still Paul. I still had the same interests. I still enjoyed the same things. Um, and then after I had kids, I was still the same guy with the same interests and same um, sort of personality. But now I was a father, you know, and before that I wasn't. And so my reality changed, but I actually didn't change. The expression of how I express myself has changed because I've got children and I do different things and there's different actions that go along with that. But I'm still the same in many respects. And that's an important point for us to understand today as we look at the church and what the church uh, should be or could be in this new reality in which we live. We've got to remember that no matter what reality is in our society, the truth of who the church never changes, just like the truth of who we are doesn't necessarily change in these new realities that we get into, but the expressions of the church will change. So no matter what is taking place in society, presently it's this pandemic and we are praying uh, for all of you and um, we're praying for people around the world that God would just um, be moving and help this thing to come to an end. But as we are in this reality, we recognize that the truth doesn't change. The truth of who the church is doesn't change. But what's critical to grasp today is that the expressions do change and must change. And how we respond and the methodologies we use must change. In the same way as we move from life stage to life stage, the way we express ourselves, the different things that we do, the different actions that we undertake change. But where we run into trouble as the body of Christ, as the church, is that we want the expressions at times to stay the same, even if they begin to deny the reality of who God is. It's not a new challenge. Again, the trouble is for us that we want at times the expressions of who the church is, of how we are, um, to remain the same and to not change even if they begin to deny the reality of who God is. This is not a new problem. Paul addressed this in Romans 1 when he talked about exchanging the truth of God for a lie. There were different traditions and, and things that were done, and there were people saying that we need to stick with those things. We need to do things, those things. And Paul was saying, no, 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 things are changing. And if we try to live in that, if we make that the law by which we live, then we may begin to deny the grace and the mercy and the reality of who God is and what he has provided for us in his son, Jesus Christ. So the church is established on the truth of God's word. That is Jesus. John 1 talks about that. It is established on salvation and that principle that we are saved by grace through faith, which we find in Ephesians. It is not the case that the church is built on traditions. You see those expressions that I was talking about earlier that we get used to and we want to keep, um, those become over time traditions and there is nothing wrong with that. Traditions in many respects are how we practice our faith. Nothing wrong with that. The, 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 the idea of Christianity has been something that's been expressed over the course of history in many ways and, and it has evolved in terms of its expression and there's nothing wrong with traditions. But the truth is what's important. See, there's nothing wrong with traditions. There's nothing wrong with the ways in which we do church and that we come and do those things. In fact, the patterns that we have are very good for us as humans to practice our faith, doing things over and over again. Are, it's a very good way of, of rooting something into our lives. 
But if the tradition becomes too important to us, where it begins to eclipse the truth, then we're running into a problem. And this is the problem that we sometimes have in the church. The expressions, the traditions start to eclipse the truth of God's mercy and grace. And that's a difficult place to be in. Now, you might be saying, well, how does that really affect me? Well, there, there's a few examples, you know, that we can talk about. And, and, and uh, they might be a little bit troubling for you. Sometimes they're troubling for me. But, you know, when we talk about worship and we talk about the songs that we sing, I know for me sometimes that this has been a thing over the years. You know, which songs should we be singing? Which songs shouldn't we sing? And there are certain tunes that are near and dear to my heart. And there's things that I love. And then there's others that I don't you know, like so much. And there's this idea of tradition or preference that comes into play when talking about those expressions of worship. Now, the truth of the music, the message of the music is what really matters, but the expressions at times become important to us. And if they become too important, that's when we get into some trouble. We see this in terms of the way we dress, maybe when we come to church or or in other ways, how we do gatherings and what constitutes a, a gathering at church. But what we have to remember in all of this is that we're not defined by these different trends and we're not defined by societal trends, but we're defined by the Spirit of God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we give in to allowing these other influences or secular influences to shape us, we start to fall prey to secularism and its allure using the world standards to measure our progress. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we can sort of begin to think of the church as a place. And so, you know, we start to think of it as an organization. And when we measure the success of organizations uh, in the secular world, you know, we begin to look at things like certain types of metrics. Perhaps it's property and buildings. And, and because there's a great building, well, that must mean there's a, a great church or, or how much, you know, finances in the bank. You know, of course, some of these things are important. There's no question. But are they really the standard of success, of significance, of spiritual significance that we should be thinking on. How many people are gathered or how trendy and tweetable is your lead pastor or your lead pastors in this case? Are those really the things that are uh, the measure of our spiritual significance? If it is the latter, well, then we're in, we're in bad trouble. But are they really the things that, that are the metrics and the measurables we should be looking at? You see, what I think happens is that we begin to trade in long-term spiritual significance for short-term secular success. success. You see, we got to stick to the truth. We got to stick to the main things and keep the main thing, Jesus, the main thing. This was addressed in the scripture that we shared earlier. Um, I'll use the message translation, which said it this way. The church is not peripheral to the world. But the world is peripheral to the church. The church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. So you see right now, even in the current climate, we're talking about racism, right? We've been talking about it quite a bit and how there's no place in the, in the church. There's no place in the Bible where racism is okay. It is wrong. We've talked about that. But here's the thing. The reason I act upon that is because of the gospel, because of the truth of the word of God, not just because... It is something that our society is talking about. Now we need to be responsive and we need to be able to respond when things are happening. There's no question about that. But the reason that it is wrong for me in my mind, in my heart, is not because somebody has said so. It's because of the truth of the gospel. 
The same is true about stewardship. It's because of the gospel's emphasis on stewardship and sustainability that we should treat the environment with respect. It's because of the gospel. Because God gave us dominion and said, go and be good stewards of this. It's because of the gospel that we stand up for those who don't have or who aren't educated or who are on the outsides of of society. It's because of the gospel that we reach out to help. It's not just because there is a need. It's not just because it's a good thing to do. It's not just because governmental leaders may ask us to engage. It's at the core. It's the truth of who Jesus is. And as we represent him, we engage in these areas. It's important to have that understanding today. Our new reality with the social distancing measures and the restrictions that we've encountered here in Canada has caused us to see in the church just how healthy or unhealthy we actually are. Because of this new reality with the restrictions that have been placed because of COVID-19, there's been an opportunity for us as the body of Christ to really take stock of how healthy or unhealthy are we. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean that because we can no longer gather for a season, because we could no longer be together, because you know we didn't have these main gatherings on Sunday where we come in and we sit and we listen and we go, because those things were removed, we began to see just how strong is the local church, just how strong is our local body, just how strong is the broader church of Christ. Because we can't gather, will we scatter? Or will we grow in this season? And so today, as we start to consider, you know, the health of ourselves as part of the church, the health of ourselves as individual followers of Christ, there are three things, three attributes that I want us to consider when it comes to the church. Three things that we need to understand from this passage in Ephesians about the local church. So we'll look at these together. The first point is this, that the church is alive. And Jesus is the head. Ephesians 1.22 said, And he, being God, put all things under his feet. Talking about Jesus. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Put all things under his feet and gave him as the head to the church. The church has a head. It's living, right? It's living. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is alive. You see, the church is not so much an organization as much as it is an organism. The church is not so much an organization as much as it is an organism. It's living, it's breathing, and in that sense, Paul talks about how there are many members in in, in the body, many members but one body, and those different members come together and create in local churches a local body, a local person, a local uh, personality, if you will. That's why with w- some churches in a, in a city, some churches may have a certain leaning this way or a certain style or a certain way of doing things. We, it takes on the personality. I believe that we even take on purpose. So if we're trying to discover the purpose of a local church, you don't have to look too far. You just look at the wonderful congregation that exists And you say, okay, who has God called here? Who has God brought here? And you see the different giftings, and then you can begin to figure out who is this church meant to be? You see, the body of Christ has personality. It's living and breathing. Many members, one body, as Paul talked about, with Christ as the head. The church is alive, and Jesus is the head of the local body. The church is the body of Christ. So we talked just a moment ago about the head and now the body of Christ. Paul says this in Ephesians, and he put all things under his feet. We just read that. Gave him his head over all things. 
uh, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Within the body of Christ, we're heavily invested in one another. Romans 12, many members, one body. We just talked about that. But Romans 10 talks about preferring one another, loving each other. You know, uh, the Bible also speaks about mourning with those who mourn and, and uh, celebrating with those who are celebrating, carrying each other's burdens is what Paul talks about in Romans 10. That's what the body of Christ looks like. When you think about a body, you know, Paul talks about it. You've heard about it many times. There's different aspects of our body. There's different parts of our body, but it all works together and it's inseparable, heavily invested in one another. So the church is meant to be heavily invested in one another. I can't function without you and you can't function perhaps without me. We all come together to reflect the body of Christ. Sometimes it's helpful to think of what we're not we're not a brand. You know, branding is a great thing. Marketing is a great thing. And it is an expression. It's something that we use at times. But the church is not a brand. The church is not a publishing house or a music label. The church is not any of those things, though we may use them from time to time to express ourselves. But the church is the body of Christ, living and breathing and with personality. The last aspect of about the church, okay? So we've talked about the church as being the body of Christ. We've talked about the church as being living with Jesus as the head. And the third thing I want us to consider coming out of this scripture is that the church is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Using the message translation again, it said this, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. See, the church is the fullness of Jesus. What the scripture is telling us is that his presence should be in us, should live in us. And then wherever we go, God's presence goes with us. Where two or three are gathered in my, na my name, there am I in the midst. So church isn't a building. Church isn't only the Sunday morning gathering. Church is right where you are today with whomever you're gathered. Even if it's just you and you're communing with God and you're hearing this message today, you're having church right there. You are the church where you are. And because you're the church, you are the fullness of Jesus Christ right where you are. There's something so amazing and powerful and beautiful about this. That means that wherever we go, God is. Wherever we go, Jesus is, and we are his hands. We are his feet extended. We are his expression to those whom we're called to, to those who are our family, to those who we work with, to those who are in our worlds, if you will. So now that we understand these three things about the church, what do we do with that? How does that shape the reality which in, in which we're living? The difficulty for us, I mentioned this, is that our societal reality with COVID has exposed the fact that there is disparity between the church of today here in North America and the New Testament church. 
So what do we do about it? Well, I think there's three things that we can do about it. There's probably more, but three that I want to emphasize for us here today at Faith. And these three things, I believe, are going to help us to get to where God is calling us. The first thing that we can do is embrace change. Pastor Glenn last week talked about Jesus and the wineskins, and I won't revisit that scripture. You can go back and take a look at that message if you missed it. But he talked about the new wineskins and how the new move of God had to be put into new wineskins. And I would say it this way, that new challenges require new structures. When there's new challenges, we have to create new structures. When there's something new coming, we have to create something that contain it. There's something that can hold, on, hold it and something that can present it to the world and to the community. And so that's a, a place in which we're living right now. There's a new challenge We've got these restrictions and we're trying to figure out how to gather, how should we gather, how can we do these different things? And that's gonna require newness. It's gonna require innovation. It's gonna require the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. New challenges require new structures. So we gotta embrace change. The second thing is we need to create opportunities. We saw Jesus do this. We need to create opportunities. Now this doesn't mean creating results. We need to create opportunities, but it doesn't mean creating or manufacturing results. We just have to look at Christ's example. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said this, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Matthew 28, 19, you'll know it well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And then John 12, 36 says this, about Jesus. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Jumping off these three, these three scriptures, I just want to talk briefly about this idea that we need to create opportunities, but we can't manufacture results. When Jesus commissioned us, he said, go and preach, and in another place, go and make disciples. But there's something that has to happen in between there. And that's the result, the salvation piece. We can't manufacture that. That's on God to bring about. But we can create the opportunities in which people can respond to Jesus and his message of hope. And that's our mandate, to create the opportunity. The results are in God's hands. And if he brings about the results that we're after and somebody comes to know him, then we have the responsibility and calling to disciple that individual. There's no doubt. Creating opportunities is what we're called to. We cannot manufacture results. And we see that here in John 12, 36. Jesus, in fact, himself went to a place, ministered to people, performed the miraculous there, and yet they still didn't believe. And so today, to lift the pressure off your shoulders and mine, we can't manufacture results, but we can create opportunities. And that is a part of being the church. And that is a part of responding to the new reality. This is why we're considering how can we best do church these days? How can we best minister to people and see them enter the kingdom of God? The third and final piece that I think we can do and engage flows out of that last one, and, and that's discipleship. We need to rediscover discipleship. We don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ's example. This is how he grew his kingdom on earth. This is how uh, he led, he discipled. We know that he had the 12 disciples, and you may not be familiar with this, but there was also a three among the 12, James, Peter, and John, who were closest to Jesus, it seems, from the scriptures. They were there when he was transfigured on the mount they were there all through the Gospels in different ways. And then among the three, there was one, 12, three, and one. Jesus discipled 
And we need to rediscover that. Now, discipleship is an interesting thing. And on the, the 12, 3, and 1, all that's being said there, I think, without overemphasizing it is, is that relationships, you know, we can't disciple everybody. And even those that we engage in discipleship, the Lord may reveal a few among those that we really can invest our lives in. And there may just be one among those three who really journeys with us over the long haul. This isn't prescriptive. This isn't the way it has to be. But it's just to, to, to help us understand that we need to go deep with people when we disciple one another. But we can't disciple everyone. We need to rediscover this principle of discipleship and answer the call to do that. Mark 8 says this, uh, Mark 8 verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. You see, at the very core, that is discipleship. In those 12, if you will, and it doesn't have to be 12, but in those 12 or the people around you that, that you are leaning into and they're leaning into your life, the mark of discipleship is really this. Are we willing to lose our life for others? You know, thankfully, currently in, in, in this part of the world, that doesn't necessarily mean our physical life. In other parts of the world, it, it might be that kind of a cost. But are we willing to invest? Are we willing to give up of our, our convenience, our time, to invest in the lives of others? Are we willing to lose our life to save it? That's the call of discipleship. So who are your 12? Who are your three? And, and who's your one? Who are the people in your life that you're helping to follow Christ? And who's helping you in that respect? These three areas, I believe, are what will help us, Faith City Church, and anybody listening today to realize, this, uh, to realize how to function in this new reality that we're facing as a local church. Because these three areas don't adjust the truth. Remember what we said about that earlier? Traditions and expressions might change, but the truth of Jesus has got to remain the same. And so what that means for us is that all things are on the table in terms of how we can minister to our community and how we can meet needs. As long as the core truth of what we're doing is the same, the buildings might change, the activities might change, the schedules might change, the restrictions might impact what we can do, but the message of hope is still the same. And as long as we engage and embrace change like Jesus calls us to with the, the wineskin story and in other areas, as long as we embrace and rediscover discipleship, as long as we're creating opportunities for people to hear the message of hope, then we are being the church. And so that's what I want to encourage us with today. As we begin to wind this down and, and uh, prepare to worship the Lord, just want us to, to quiet our hearts for a few moments, uh, just in these closing minutes of this message. And I want you to distill yourself, and, and we've talked about this before, there may be distractions and different things where you are watching, but just take a moment and just quiet yourself before the Lord. We've said a lot of things today, talked about tradition. We're not attacking the things that we hold dear, but we just need to remember to keep the truth the main thing. The expressions might change. We talked about spiritual significance and secular success. What is it that we're really chasing as individuals and even as a local church? And then here in the latter parts, we talked about 
who the church is, how the church is the fullness of Jesus, how the church is alive and Jesus is the head, and how we're the body. We should be heavily invested in one another. And then finally, we talked about how we can really be the church in this new reality through embracing change and creating opportunities and finally rediscovering discipleship. Just as you're quiet before the Lord, I'm just inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe there's a certain thing that was shared today in, in all of what was said that is an area of your life that he wants to touch and help you change. Maybe we need to embrace discipleship in a new way. Perhaps uh, we're getting caught up in the traditions and, and that's our focus and we can't um, sort of get beyond it. That's okay. The Lord's with us today. He's here to help us to change. Maybe we need to be creating more opportunities and we've been feeling God encouraging us in that way. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is here with you now um, to minister to you. And I want to pray for you. Just as we move into worship, don't lose this moment. Don't lose what God's doing in your heart. Be faithful to it. And as you respond in worship, allow him to continue his work. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the Bible today, the word, um, Lord, because it brings life and it changes us. God, as we're facing a new reality um, in a very large sense all across our city, our region, our nation, even the world, Lord, God, would you help us? Would you help us to respond in a way that's life-giving? God, would you help us even as a local church as we begin to uh, change, you know, and adjust to the way things are currently Lord, as we change, would you help us to embrace that change? As we uh, create opportunities uh, for others to connect with you, Lord, help us um, to lean into those. God, help us to embrace discipleship in a new way so that as we're uh, engaging in, again, this new reality of life, that your kingdom wouldn't suffer. Lord, we know that you're in the habit of bringing amazing, um, refreshing streams to the desert. You're all about bringing growth uh, to the dry land. And so in a season that seems very difficult and how can the body of Christ grow, Lord? I, I just believe, God, that this can be a season of immeasurable growth. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to change us so that we can be a part of that amazing growth, so that Faith City Church can be all you want it to be in this season, in this new reality. So God, help us to be your church. Help us to be alive with the life of Jesus. Help us to lean in and prefer one another. Help us to bear each other's burdens and help us quite simply to be the church, to be Jesus, to be his fullness, his hands, his feet expressed uh, to our community. So Lord, I just bless each one listening today. God, I pray that you would shine down upon them your grace, your mercy, and your love. Lord, would you keep them and give them and grant them peace uh, to themselves, to their families, and to the communities they represent. Jesus' name.